your life is amazing. You are built to go on a spiritual adventure. And there's love that is so much bigger than anything that might have been fathomed. There's beauty and sacred moments of how we show up for one another. This is a huge spiritual adventure. And we can let go of the 20th century idea that life is a shopping mall where we get things or don't and we collect more stuff or we don't. Life is this incredible series of unpredictable, sacred moments of revelation. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the Kathy Heller Podcast. Today, Dr. Lisa Miller is on the show. And this is not only one of my favorite episodes we've ever done, this is hands down one of the best conversations I have ever had in my entire life. It is so groundbreaking. I cannot wait to get into this. Before we do, I want to let you know that starting today, we're doing a pre-sale for a interactive eight-week course that I do once a year called Your Turn to Podcast. This podcast course will help you learn how to start and create a successful podcast. I love teaching podcasting. For me, it is the single biggest thing I could have ever done, not only for my career, but also to open so many doors to what is my opportunity to really step into my calling. I would love to show you how at the end of eight weeks, you can have a podcast and what that can do not just for your business, but for your life. If you want to join it this week, you can get $500 off if you just use the code voice. So you can go to kathyheller.com slash join and then use the code voice and you can get $500 off. This is a pre-sale. We're only running the pre-sale for just a few days. So if you'd like to join the class, then no doubt about it, you may as well scoop up the $500 off pre-sale and you can go to kathyheller.com slash join and just use the special code voice. If you're an alumni, you can DM me on Instagram at kathy.heller because you have an extra special alumni discount code. So you can definitely DM me for that and just say, I'm alumni and I love the code. All right, let's dive into this episode today because it's really just so superb. I can't even begin to tell you. So Dr. Lisa Miller is here. She is a leading psychologist and scientist on spirituality and mental health. She's a New York Times bestselling author, a psychology professor at Columbia University, and she's founder and director of the Spirituality Mind Body Institute, which is the first Ivy League graduate program and research institute in spirituality and psychology. If that wasn't enough, she's also the editor of the Oxford University Press Handbook of Psychology and Spirituality, founding co-editor-in-chief of the APA Journal Spirituality and Clinical Practice, an elected fellow of the American Psychological Association, and two-time president of the APA Society for Psychology and Spirituality. She has dedicated so much of her life to the study of spirituality and its effects on a person's psychology, personal growth, and resilience. She wrote two incredible books that we're going to talk about in this conversation. The first is The Spiritual Child, The New Science on Parenting for Health and Lifelong Thriving. In this book, she explores the science and the power of spirituality on our health and how we can encourage well-being in the next generation. Her other beautiful book is The Awakened Brain, The New Science of Spirituality and Our Quest for an Inspired Life, which is so incredible. It discusses the exploration of the neuroscience of spirituality. Plus, it's a powerful guide to help you tap into your heightened awareness of the world around you 
and your place in it, how to access your innate spirituality and how to build a life of meaning and contribution. Go get yourself a copy of both of these books. You will not regret it. This conversation was so mind-blowing to me. I was so honored to have Dr. Miller on. I felt so connected on such a soul level and really just being with her created the most incredible experience. She's so grounded and in this episode, she's gonna take us through a couple practices. So this is a really interactive interview. I hope that you're gonna join along in these visualizations and let us know what comes from it. Without further ado, please welcome the brilliant Dr. Lisa Miller. Dr. Lisa Miller, I'm so in awe of your work. I love that you exist. I love that you have found such an articulate and important, powerful way to show us the truth of how much uh, well-being we have access to beyond what we might think or be shown. And I love that you've been researching where all of the things that matter most, I think, come together to, to show us that, that we actually can see the evidence that we are built to have transcendence in our life. And so you're such a phenomenal human being, so brilliant, so loving, so kind. And the work is so important. I, I don't think there's anything more important. It is the oxygen that we need. So thank you for having done the work, doing the work, and thank you for coming on today. Candy, I'm so thrilled to be in a deep discussion with you. And I want to honor that you have created a very luminous, bright, strong platform in the middle of the public square where the spiritual voice is free and strong. And I cannot imagine a more important contribution than to liberate our natural birthright, our spiritual voice, our spiritual heart. So thank you. And it's just this type of meeting where we work together, all hands on deck, and we're helping to renew, really walk with our society in a spiritual awakening. Oh my gosh, this is the only conversation that I want to have. I love that you are so plugged in to the Wi-Fi of that which really is. And um, for me, it started, as my audience knows, but you might not know, um, I took a trip to Jerusalem when I was 21 and I thought I was going to be there for three weeks and I stayed for three years and uh, lived in the old city of Jerusalem and studied as much as I could get my hands on. And then... Uh, came to Los Angeles and studied meditation for several years and uh, have been walking the path and so grateful to have lenses and glasses that show me the world as it is and not as we perceive it to be, which is separate and scarce. And I was really bowled over that you have been finding the research to show what happens as a biological and psychological upgrade to the human being when we are aligned with that which is mystical. So yes. I am so excited. So tell us where this began for you, why you decided to chart this course, and then let's talk about some of the most juicy things that you have found on your journey. Beautiful. Okay. Thank you, Kathy. So first of all, I just want to resonate with your draw to the old city in Jerusalem, the brightness of spirit, the immediate abundance and strength of God's presence in my word is God. We all have our own word. Me too. It's mine too. Is so strong. And I'm very moved that you stayed for three years because it is a feeling of being near the source, yeah. meaning capital S, the source of life. 
And actually, when my husband and I came back from Jerusalem, he got into a little bit of a low grade depression. He said, after, you know, being in Jerusalem where all three Abrahamic religions are and the energy is so bright and strong, he said, I, more than energy, the spirit of God's presence is so bright and strong. My husband says, the rest of the world feels like a shopping mall. <laughs> that's exactly what I said. I said it felt like a shopping mall. Uh, that's very accurate. Let's take a pilgrimage. Let's, let's take everybody there so they can feel it for themselves. So thank you for honoring that. And that is so true for my experience. It's a, it's a beautiful sort of confluence that the beginning of this story as it pertains to clinical science and our renewal, it actually started for me at a Yom Kippur service that as a young intern, I facilitated on an inpatient unit. I was in a psychiatric hospital as a clinical psychologist right out of my PhD program. And I was surrounded by psychiatrists and psychologists who were very good people who were trained to the T in the models of our time, but there was not a whisper. In fact, it was actually kind of evocative or out of place to make a little peep about spirituality or religion. And yet I saw patients hungry, you know, Dr. Miller, will you come here? Sure. Yes. You know, no, no, not your office down the hall. No, not down the hall, into the linoleum table kitchen, into the back pantry. And in the back pantry, in the inpatient unit, Dr. Miller, will you pray with me? So for the patients, it felt forbidden. Somehow they picked up on the relational culture, on the inpatient unit. We don't talk about that here. So this was a, a hospital that served a community with many Jewish people, and I'm Jewish, and it was Yom Kippur. And that week, earlier in the week, at the community meeting, a gentleman who has really struggled with bipolar, who's very explosive, raised his hand and he said, chief, he's talking to the unit chief, where's the service for Yom Kippur? And the chief kind of wrestles and looks at his feet and he talks to the attendant. He's like, right now there's, there's no service planned. And he says, what? No service plan for Yom Kippur? And of course, this is the day of liberation, of atonement, where we can take out the sins from our heart, ask others for forgiveness, and then ask God. How could, And he blew up with frustration and despair and walked out of the community meeting. And another woman, clearly a woman of tremendous shame and guilt and sort of hunched over in her chair said, you know, no, no Yom Kippur. And, and she looked just very sad and withdrew. And I thought, you know what, this, this isn't right. I'm not a rabbi, but I've been to two plus decades at that point of Yom Kippur services, I can facilitate this. So I pulled aside the unit chief and said, may I come in on Yom Kippur? I know that, you know, naturally the clergy are out, but I, I'd like to be here. So I show up. Of course, our service is held in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, the heart of fluorescent lights and the linoleum table. But whereas on most days, people wore those sort of embarrassing gurneys that never made sense to me that on a psychiatric unit, they're wearing hospital gowns, but they were. Today, in Yom Kippur, they were dressed beautifully. So the gentleman who'd been explosive was in a coat and tie, and the woman was in a beautiful dress. And by each patient was there an attending sort of helper. And while the you know attending aides were not Jewish, they felt the sacredness of the moment. So the whole room became not just sacred space, it became a synagogue. It felt like a synagogue. And as we started saying the prayers, I handed out Xeroxes from my grandmother's prayer book, actually, 
they started, all the patients knew the prayers and started saying the prayers from their decades of Yom Kippur services. And very quickly, I saw that the gentleman with my pulver, as he davened, was holding the group. He was the one moving us. He wasn't just organized. He was holding all of us. And the woman who had felt such shame, you know, after our prayers were over, I said, let's go around and share how we feel, what Yom Kippur is for us. And from her little hunched position, she'd come and she'd rolled back her shoulders and she sat up tall in her chair and she said, well, I always knew that you can ask for forgiveness on Yom Kippur, just riddled with guilt and shame. But sitting here with you all, I know that we can be forgiven. So, Kathy, service ended. And as I looked around the room, every single contributor had emerged as if the sun within them, the radiant spirit, had shone right through the prison bars of whatever their so-called diagnosis had been. So the man who was explosive was actually contained and holding us. The woman who had shame felt liberated and free. I realized in that moment, it was only through reigniting the spirit that we're made whole. And it is that power and force that shines through the prison house of the ego and the ego's distortions and disruptions. So two days go by, I get a little knock at my door. And it's the woman from Yom Kippur. And she says, Dr. Mel, I just wanted to tell you that we can all be forgiven. <laughs> Beautiful. She felt forgiven. So that said to me that a mental health system, a psychotherapy, a treatment, Minus spirituality made no sense. And its omission, given what we'd seen with the light shining through the power of soul, its omission felt to me like what we call in the hospital, iatrogenic harm. We were making people worse. Iatrogenic harm is when I come to the hospital with a broken arm and I leave with TB, I'm worse, or MERS, right? I'm worse. Well, when we address healing and silence, you know, doctor, silence the spiritual core, we are not just prolonging suffering, we are disintegrating the spiritual core from the whole person. And that disintegration is unhealth. So my rest of my life has been devoted to putting the spiritual core back into the whole person, putting science perhaps as a mirror, as a form of witness onto the human journey, who we really are. And what we see is breathtaking. I mean, we've used MRI studies. My team has used MRI, genotyping, long-term, you name it. We've pulled out every lens we have in clinical science. And it is simply the case that we are innately spiritual beings. This is who we are. And not only that, it is through our spiritual awareness, the transcendent capacity to be in relationship to God, transcendent relationship, and to feel the presence of that relationship and our love for one another. Those are both forms of relational spirituality. One is transcendent, being connection to our higher power, and the other is imminent, to feel our higher power in one another and fellow living beings. This is how we're built. And over 20 years, we've taken the walk to the point where we even have published in top peer-reviewed journals, JAMA Psychiatry, American Journal of Psychiatry, American Academy of Child Adolescence, top peer-reviewed journals, evidence that is absolutely clear as a bell saying that when we strengthen our natural birthright, we are far less likely to be addicted, depressed, to take our lives, and far more likely to live in a deep dialogue with spirit through which life is much more inspired. 
I mean, I've just been sitting here, tears streaming down my face. It is so profound and it's so important. And it's my very beingness that says that this is true. Um, when I went to Jerusalem at 21, um, my parents had gotten divorced when I was in high school and my mom had suffered a really deep, dark depression as a result. And when I got to Jerusalem, my rabbi, David Aaron, it was like somebody hit control, alt, delete and cleared the cache on the program that I was running. And I was in so much pain because I was looking at the world a particular way. And my mom was suicidal and my dad was not really in the picture. He had gotten remarried and my sister and I weren't even invited to the wedding. And there was a lot of just, um, there was a lot of loss and abandonment and grief and no connection to anything other than the very physical 3D world and all that it has to offer. And Rabbi Aaron said to me, you are a masterpiece, a piece of the master. And wow. he said, Kathy Heller is a avatar. You know, you play her. And Really, if God was the sun, we are each a ray of that light. And there is only one infinite field. And that completely and totally changed me to orient to witness Kathy Heller and also know that I am of this one ocean. And that was the most compelling, truthful knowing that I'd ever registered as what made complete and total sense. And from that point forward, I could see how being oriented to the avatar and thinking and only believing that that is all that there is, it completely takes you out of your atomicness, right? The energy that is you. And therefore, it is very slow and difficult to move from lack, to move from scarcity and try to, you know, the only thing that ever made anything was energy. Energy makes matter. So it's, it's, and then as I would study it, I would sit in classrooms and look at fMRIs or i would I would meditate and watch what would happen with people around me, or I would feel things start to bloom so beautifully because I could be in resonance with something bigger than whatever story I carried around, and I wanted everyone to know it, but only really only when I came across your work, what was unique and different than Ramdas and Eckhart Tolle and Rabbi Aaron and Deepak Chopra was that somebody, you, had studied that when we are in alignment with that which is our source, our actual physical being changes, the brain changes, and things occur and don't occur that we would hope wouldn't occur as a result. And I said, that is awesome. Like I had seen bits of that, but not all pulled together. So for those of us who don't use this language, it can be hard, right? Because there's so many barriers to entry when the word God is so burdened, when our understanding of religion feels, feels like the opposite of oneness. Um, and yet here you are to present, to present peer reviewed and very highly integrated science that shows us things that we shouldn't unsee once we see them. So tell us a little bit about what was the most striking to you. And of course, you've written books and we'll talk about that. But what were some of the things that you started to collect that you put in these books 
that would be compelling for even the most agnostic person to just contemplate? What were some of those things? Beautiful, Kathy. And I want to resonate. I share with you very much the image of we are rays from the sun. We are emanations of source, of the great source, the great spirit. And very much so that when we look at all of the science put together, we are built to be in relationship, to be of the source. We are built to be in alignment, in deep connection with the great sacred force in us, through us, and around us. And in fact, what is despair? What is depression? It is a stepping back. It is an occlusion. It is a difficulty reaching this deep natural alignment, this deep connection with the source of all life, who I call God. You could say the universe, source, Hashem, Allah, whatever your word, we are built to be in relationship with the source of all life. That is simply how we're built. I know that beyond a shadow of the doubt through published peer review MRI studies. And when we are in alignment, we are in connection with source, our higher power. We even see a spiritual response to suffering. You put it so very beautifully as as a young woman, this total illumination, a connection that rearranges the meaning before us and resonates with the deeper, wiser part of ourselves. At the level of an MRI scan, we see broad regions of the brain, regions of perception, reflection, and orientation, the parietal, precuneus, and occipital, thick and strong. The cortex is processing power. We have a better brain. We have a more capable brain of seeing and perceiving when we cultivate over time a spiritual response to suffering a spiritual way of engaging times of emptiness. And in fact, Kathy, do you think, may we share a practice? Please do. Yes. Together? Beautiful. I'm going to invite you and our community to close our eyes if you wish. It's an invitation. Take five breaths to clear out your inner space. I invite you to set before you a table. This is your table. And to your table, you may invite anyone, living or deceased, who truly has your best interest in mind. Anyone, living or deceased, who truly has your best interest in mind. And with them all sitting there, ask them if they love you. And now you may invite your higher self, the part of you that is so much more than anything you've done or not done, anything you have or don't have, your true eternal higher self and ask you if you love you. And now finally, you may invite your higher power, whatever word is yours, however you know your higher power and ask if they love you. And now with all of those people sitting there right now, what do they need to tell you now? What do they need to share? What do you need to know? When you're ready, I'll invite you back. Beautiful. This is your counsel, and they are always there for you. Always. Mm -hmm. Who shows up may change depending on where we are in our path, and we can ask them what's on our heart. No one can ever take this away from you. This is your inborn birthright. This is your awakened brain. The awakened brain is the neuro seat through which we are in relationship 
to our higher power, our higher selves, and the deep spirit in one another. It is the seed of transcendence and an imminence. It is the seed of relational spirituality in all forms. It's incredible. There's so many things to, to talk about, truly. And um, one thing I want to touch on in that buffet of so many things is we have so many women who listen to the show. 98% of the audience is, is women and a lot of them are children. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are mothers. Yes. And so I want to talk about the child, the spiritual child. And I know this is a big part of your work in a book that you had written. And I want you to share with us the case you make for kids being deeply in a, in a better state of well-being when they have a spiritual anchor. And, and what have you learned in the science that, that illuminates that for us? So I'll start with just the hard facts. And in top peer-reviewed journals, American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry journals that go through peer reviews, so two or three scientists look at every piece two or three times blind to the author. So as far as science can put housekeeping seal and say, this is fact, this is fact, right? By the time that we're 19 or 20, the teen, the young adult who says, I turn to my higher power for guidance. The way that you just spoke so beautifully, Kathy, about being an emanation, like the ray of the sun from source or God, the teen who knows him or herself that way, I turn to God for guidance. When I have a tough decision to make, I ask my high power, my higher power, what really should I do? That is a lived daily relationship. That teen who is about a standard deviation above mean and a tendency to walk with God, to be in a sustained relationship, personal spirituality, versus the teen who has not had the opportunity to support the guidance to be clear about this living relationship. What's the difference between door number one and door number two? Well, the teen in door number one is an 80% decreased relative risk for addiction, addiction to drugs, addiction to alcohol. And as you know, our community may realize, the seat of addiction can turn and point its focus at drugs and alcohol, at internet pornography, at gambling. The object of the addiction can change, but the seat of addiction is formed. Hmm. That is really a painful way to live. The teen who's a standard deviation above as compared to below the mean in personal spirituality is an 80% decreased relative risk of addiction, is an 82% decreased relative risk of completed suicide. I mean, the tragedy of our time, what should be on the front page of every newspaper, certainly every mother would agree, is that there's a pandemic of suicide in Gen Z. I mean, this is like a horror film where kids are taking their own lives at moments before launch in this beautiful world with trees and birds and friends and you can do anything. They're so without hope and they're so without connection to the source of life. They are so far from knowing themselves as instruments or rays from the sun that they could feel that they're worthless and inconsequential and that their pain means I got to just stop feeling this hardship. Well, that that is the fault of our society. It is not accurate when half of Gen Z has a disease of despair. It is simply not accurate to locate the source at the level of the teen, at the level of the individual. If half our country of Gen Zs is struggling with addiction and depression and suicidality, that is in the air and water of our culture. We have a culture that I would call radical materialism. It is devoid 
of conversation, of witness, of connection, discussion about the deeper nature of life and who we are. I mean, if you go to a dinner party, you know, I, I feel like I'm sort of being measured to be traded on the New York Stock Exchange. You know, what do you do? And what does your spouse do? And I feel them sort of calculating me. That is a transactional understanding of who we are. That is a public square that minus the spiritual core is no longer about I-thou relationships. It is about transactional relationships. So the young person comes to know him or herself as nothing more than their parts and pieces. You know, I am the varsity tennis player. Actually, I was cut. I'm a loser. I have five APs. Actually, I have none. I'm a loser. You know, one's pieces and parts and outward performance start to be who young people think they are. I have a dear colleague, Dr. Sunya Luther, who passed recently. She had once been my teacher when I was in college, and she had worked for years and years with kids in poverty and just as a control group, went out to highly resourced communities outside of New York, outside of San Francisco and LA, and went to the lunchrooms and took a look and started asking kids how they were doing. And what she found in highly resourced communities were higher rates of addiction, more despair than in the inner city. So I teamed up with her and I said, well, how are these kids doing spiritually, knowing what we know from the science? Well, it turns out that the national rate at which a young you know, teenager will say, my personal spirituality is highly important to me, is about 70%. But in highly resourced communities, so Fairfield County and Marin, places like that, the rate at which a young person says, my personal spirituality is highly important to me, is 15% less than a quarter of the national rate. One in six kids feels aligned with source, has a relationship with the higher power. Okay, so 15%, how are they doing? That, that little group, they're doing just fine. The 15% in highly resourced communities who are close to their higher power, whose family holds, as you described so beautifully, an understanding of who we are daily in relationship to our higher power, to God, whatever, Hashem. Those kids are doing great. They are inured from the otherwise elevated rates of this pandemic of deadly diseases of despair. But the 85% who are beautiful souls on earth have not been engaged by their parents and by their community as being foundationally spiritual beings. They don't know themselves that way. It's unbelievable. And I have a feeling you've had this conversation with him directly, Deepak Chopra. I would just imagine the two of you have had this conversation. I, but if you have, he's very, very committed to our world. He's a beautiful soul. This is his issue. Like when I said to him, what do you wake up with every day? He said that the, and this was his, I'm quoting that the number two cause of death in children, people under the age of 18 is suicide. And he said, that means we've failed as a society because we then identify the I am not as the truth of the I am. But we're identifying it as this construct, which is a collection of things, a pile of things, as you said, which is a transaction. And what's so really, truly, it is a phenomenon. I speak to hundreds of thousands of people a year. And these are people who most, most of them have done all of the quote unquote right things to try to be the best that they can be, the best version of themselves. And there is this just pandemic of not feeling enough. And what's fascinating to me is that the most impressive thing is love. The most impressive thing 
about anyone. If, if all of us right now who are listening thought about moments in their life where they were really impressed by a person, there's no doubt that the people who have come to mind are people who truly resonate love. And that has nothing to do with whether you took the AP classes or whether you have the nicer car, but it has everything to do with how much space you create for love within yourself and for someone else and beginner's mind and compassion and empathy. And we live in a time where there is such an empathy deficit. And I say, you are equipped with the greatest gift that the world actually needs and actually finds impressive, which is you connected to the love that comes to and through you. And it's like, that is your superpower. So yes, when you are not connected to that which is your greatest ninja Jedi move, it is a very lonely and futile effort to try and have some equation by the end of the day that makes you worthy, right? Like, did you have enough followers? What did you post today? Like, as opposed to, instead of saying, you know, I heard a rabbi say recently, instead of saying, I want to change the world, what if every day you said, I want to change the world for one person today? You could be accomplished, right, in doing that. And then we find in all these other studies, as Arthur Brooks said on our show, that what does it turn out? Our own happiness comes not as much from self-care, but from other care. That is truly how the human being is wired, even in the studies around happiness. So it is so important and gorgeous and critical that we hear you, that we lean in, and that we change this conversation for our generation. And as mothers, to your point, Kathy, as mothers... We are authorized in our deep inner wisdom to be in connection with our children in a deeply spiritual way. We are built for that. The mother-child bond, whether it's through adoption or marriage or carrying a child biologically, we are built to be in deep spiritual connection to the child. And the child, our beautiful children, unless socialized out of it, are born with a natural spiritual perception into life. And, you know, in the science, it, it's called innate, natural, implicit spiritual cognition. We could call it the soul speaking, but implicit spiritual cognition is documented in science. For instance, the child naturally perceives continuity of consciousness or spirit after death unless mm -hmm. socialized out of it. So when my oldest child, Isaiah, who you know was adopted from an orphanage north of St. Petersburg, Russia, Isaiah was about two, and Pop-Up, his great-grandpa, had died. Being Jewish, we were graveside, putting earth on the casket. And the adults took the shovel and put heavy earth on the casket. So body, mind, and spirit, you get the point that your beloved has crossed. Little Isaiah was handed a garden spade. And he took his little garden spade. He put earth on Pop-Up's casket. He helped Pop-Up in the transition. And then he looked at me and he says, look, Mommy. The body goes to the good earth. The soul goes to God. Those were his words. The child sees. And all we have to do as parents is say, 
how moving, how important. I'm so glad you told me. We don't need to be great theologians. We need to honor the spirit in our children and the depths of our mother-child relationship. So, you know, Isaiah, I will share with you, Kathy, that day, you know, everybody loved Papa, but the other four cousins were not there. And they hadn't been brought because mm-hmm. the fear was that right. death was traumatizing. But actually, death is a window into the powerful spiritual reality of who we really are. And for Isaiah, he felt he'd done something to help pop up. So, you know, the child naturally perceives that we can directly know. You know, a child can have precognition or immediate intuition or a mystical experience. We can have, in my house, I use the term direct knowing. You don't need to have been told. You don't need to have been read it in a book. Well, the child comes to trust direct knowing if we honor it and say, remember, you knew that even before we got to the birthday party, you knew they'd be bringing to this birthday party a llama. You said, mom, I bet a llama will be there. <laughs> so this sense of honoring them, then it locks in. As moms, if we say it's real, ping, it's real. And in the spiritual child, what I'm trying to say is that no one is a parenting expert onto your child but you. All that we can do from out here in the bandstands as scientists and psychologists is give roadmaps of what we've seen. The spiritual child is about sharing the science. You are the expert on your child, and you know when to take your child to the funeral, and you know when to pray out loud with your child, and you know when to take your child to a house of worship if that's where you go. But what the science shows us is that if as mothers we are transparent, and walk the walk of our spiritual truth and talk the walk. We got to narrate it, be open to what we're doing. That is the intergenerational transmission of spiritual life. It is not by picking up a book. Yeah. People. We're ambassadors. I was in the car with my kids maybe less than a year ago and my middle daughter, Eliza, she said, mom, I think I figured it out. I said, what's that? And she, you know, they play this game uh, called Roblox where they all have, they build worlds and they each have avatars and they meet up with their friends' avatars in each other's worlds. They can help each other build homes and streets, this big game that they play. So she said, I think I figured it out. I said, what's that? She goes, you know how in Roblox I have an avatar and I can change her shirt, I can change her hair and all of that. I said, yeah. She goes, that's it. She goes, my avatar is called Eliza. My soul was here before. And I can change Eliza. I said, that's exactly it. And that was, I'm literally just driving and she's in the back of the car, like telling this to me. She gets it. It is so obvious to her that that's correct, right? You said Um, exactly what it is. It's locked in for life. Because if you say that's real, as you did, that's exactly right. Then she knows that's real. It doesn't matter if she goes to 14 years of school where no one ever mentions it again. Because you told her. Here's what's interesting is I shadowed a teacher of mine, Susan Kaiser Greenland, who works in the mindfulness space and wrote a book called The Mindful Child. And people would come to her and say, can you make my kids mindful? Right. Because she has another book called Mindful Games and she goes into schools and she helps kids to regulate their nervous system and create more executive function. And what we would find is that the mother, the father, the parent needs to have this resonance, right? And so I think one thing that I would love to ask you is for somebody who's listening, who has a tough time 
with their own knowing, their own belief, their own connection to that which is eternal, how can we begin to walk our way back to that so that we can not only say words, but we can radiate, as you use that word a few times already, this energetic vibration to our child so that they feel it in our being that we know we are and not these little egos, but actually something much bigger than that. The radiant source through us, the sacred force. Well, I think when we walk the walk and talk the walk, we're being watched at every second. Yeah. But we don't need to be perfect. And in fact, it's in the bumps in the road that we may have a particular opportunity to be even more the teacher. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, starting at home, right? So I was so grateful. I share in the spiritual child and also in the awakened brain that we prayed hard for five years before anybody came into our family. And then all three children came within three years. And we were so grateful. It was such a miracle, this little bundle. And I, you know, I hadn't slept in two years. So I was, you know, driving down the wrong side of the road. And <laughs> one day I bring my little posse into Starbucks and customers left a chair in the middle of the aisle and I trip and I go flying and I break my arm and well I I was pretty tired (laughs) and I have to confess that was not my brightest moment I was I was pretty irritated and I was perhaps not very courteous to the barista and that was a point of I felt terrible that I'd been discourteous to this barista this kid I felt terrible that my kids had seen me be so rude to someone so, you know, we're driving home. I've injured my arm. And I said, you know what, guys? Mommy feels like she wasn't kind to that man behind the counter. We're going to go back so that I can apologize. So I do a U-turn in the SUV. Oh. We back to the Starbucks. You know, it's, it's a little awkward, obviously. <laughs> I go in with my three kids so that they see this, so that I might repair it with this young man and that they might bear witness to that. And I said, listen, I'm so sorry that I was short-tempered. I, you know, I, I haven't slept. I tripped. I hurt my arm. I'm really, I apologize. And he, of course he remembered, right? He said, thank you for coming back. And he said, I really appreciate it, but I want you to know you're actually one of the real, one of the nicest ladies that comes in. We're friends. What went from just pleasantness, we became friends. So we shared it amongst us humans. But every disruption, every rupture between us humans has a second layer, which is the renewal with Mm -hmm. higher power. And so with my kids, I say, will you join me now? And in my language, in my own path, you know, I said, dear God, please forgive me for being so short with that young man, with Mm -hmm. John. Um, Please, may I draw ever more in alignment. May I serve you in love. May I feel your great presence. And may we walk to serve you in love. You know, I say the prayer that I say many times a day. Now they hopefully have witnessed that every human disruption needs a repair amongst us humans, but it also needs the layer of renewal and realignment. Yeah. Shuva. Yes. It's beautiful. And it makes, it makes everything feel doable because there's room for us to have our own humanity And they say in the Talmud, you know, where somebody stands after they've fallen and get back up, you know, somebody who's perfect can't stand in that high place because it's in our repair that we actually, we show this thing that's above nature, that we could do that, that we could face something, that we could have that higher consciousness and want to reach for that correction. 
transcendence. Transcendence. And yeah. it's walked on the earth imminence, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, take these words, which I command you these days, you know, say them as you rise up and as you lie down and you're right. coming and you're going. So that's the barista. You got to go back to the barista. <laughs> For those of us who are, are listening and, and want to continue down this path, the other very beautiful book um, you wrote more recently, The Awakened Brain, The New Science of Spirituality and Our Quest for an Inspired Life, you make such a compelling, beautiful case for us to be able to perceive so much more of reality as it is by changing the way in which we see the world. What are some of the things that we could begin to do to have an awakened brain? And what does that even mean to you, really? So, Kathy, I, I think, as you say so beautifully, we all are born with this capacity, and it is a choice to practice, to engage, to pay attention, to choose to look into life this way. Um, and the more we do it, the more it builds and takes on a life of itself. It pays us back a thousandfold, and we can be there for others. So I, I'm wondering, should I tell a story, or do you want to do a practice? What would be a better way to share this? Maybe start with the practice because I feel like, you know, experience teaches on such a different level. Beautiful. Yeah, I'll share this practice. Thank you. I invite you and our community, if you invitation, to close your eyes, clear out your inner space with five breaths. I invite you to locate a time where you wanted something so badly. You had done everything. You researched it. You tactically lined it up. It could have been a job, an internship, an admission to a school. It could have been getting him or her or them to say yes, a place to live. You wanted it. That was your red door. A plus B plus C and 99% in the bag because you've done it all right. And you go right up to your red door. You grab the handle, but it's stuck. And you perhaps can't believe it's stuck because you had done everything right. A plus B plus C, this impasse. You kick the door, it doesn't move, you're angry, maybe depressed, but only because it is stuck, you have no choice. You pivot, you pivot and you turn 20, 50, 170 degrees, a hairpin turn. And there is a radiant, wide open yellow door. You might've said yellow doors don't exist. You've not heard of yellow doors. You cross the threshold and there is someone more right for you. There is a community where you feel alive and connected. There is a job or an internship that opens up a side of yourself you didn't know you even had. That yellow door led to a land that was not what you had wanted. It was better than what you had wanted and better for you. And as you step back and think about that stuck red door, the hairpin turn leading to the yellow door, there's so much to do with who you are and where you are today. Was there anyone there at the hairpin turn? At maybe at someone you met for two minutes on the bus or at a party? Maybe there was someone you'd known for years, a dear friend, a grandparent who shared a story they'd never shared before. Someone pointed the way, gave you information to the yellow door. They were a trail angel, a trail angel helping you along the hairpin turn. And now as you step back, stuck red door, hairpin turn, trail angel to the wide open yellow door that has so much to do with who you are today. 
how really are the most important parts of our lives formed? Is it narrowly that we are makers of our paths? Is it only through tactics and strategy and goals set based on yesterday's information? Or are we less makers of our paths and at most important moments discovers, discovers of our journey where we meet people we didn't know existed? Because all the information, what I want on that red door is only based on today backwards. But the discovery of the yellow door and the synchronicity of the trail angel, that holds information that has yet to unfold before us. And so finally now, as you sit way back, stuck red door, hairpin turn, trail angel, synchronistically in your path, wide open yellow door, where in your right of life radiates your higher power, God? Is your higher power in the open yellow door and the stuck red door? Is your higher power in the trail angel and your openness to be in dialogue with this great sacred force in us through us and among us? And have you been on a spiritual path, a sacred walk all along, in dialogue with our universe? I invite you back. Ah, that was so gorgeous, so unbelievable. And we're all Powerful. on a path. We're all. And whether or not we've given it that name, the dialogue, men and women are profoundly spiritual beings. For women, this is bedrock. This is absolutely essential to our walk as women. And we see through science that with puberty, as we move into womanhood more fully, there's a 50% increase in the rates of depression unless there's a strong personal spirituality in that young woman. And then she's protected. This hunger, the pain of depression for many women has to do with the lack of support to realize our birthright that we are in dialogue with God. We are in dialogue with spirit. Women have been silenced. It's in the ladies' room. You know, I literally in the ladies' room that people will talk about their spiritual experience or privately. What you're doing, Kathy, is so important. A strong platform in the middle of the public square where women express from our deepest seat of knowing the spiritual reality. This is where our culture is headed, and this is how we will emerge, not just sustainable. We won't have to fix problems because we won't have these problems. It's so incredible, and I feel it with every bit of my being, and um, I agree wholeheartedly that, and I, I never heard it said like that, but that this is the spiritual bedrock of the female experience, and there's a new earth, as we know, that is like waking up. You know, it used to be there were no yoga studios. Now they're on every corner, right? You can get a latte and a yoga class on every corner of every main street. And if you go into a bookstore, the biggest section is the personal development section, right? This used to be hogwash back in generations ago. Why do you need that? That's completely impractical. But something is happening where people are waking up, as you would say, this awakened brain, there's there's something stirring that has become a ripple. And it seems to me that we've been so conditioned to believe, as you were saying about those two paths, that, that it's the linear path that leads wherever we need it to go. And therefore, we have this hustle culture, and there's a certain amount of 
time that needs to be traded and, and, and elbow grease that has to go into everything when really what you said is just so moving because the biggest things in my personal life that have actually shaped me and actually become the answered prayers were not predictable. There was so much synchronicity. There were little conversations and twists and turns and, and none of that is something that I can foresee or predict or use linear means to achieve. But that is something that is considered, you know, really out there or woo. And it's like, but there's a river of life that's, that's here. <laughs> and you have, if you just stop and look as you just had us do so beautifully, you see it. And so what did you want people to take away from this book? And we're going to put the links in the show notes and all of that. What were you hoping would open for people as a path or as a knowing from reading The Awakened Brain? Your life is amazing. You are built to go on a spiritual adventure. And there's love that is so much bigger than anything that might have been fathomed. There's beauty and sacred moments of how we show up for one another. This is a huge spiritual adventure. And we can let go of the 20th century idea that life is a shopping mall where we get things or don't and we collect more stuff or we don't. Life is this incredible series of unpredictable, sacred moments of revelation. I could just listen to you all day. I'm so grateful to you for coming on. Tell us where we can find you, follow along, and stay in this incredible light that you so generously offer. Kathy, this has been so mean. I love you. I'm like obsessed. You're beautiful. You're a beautiful soul. Beautiful inside and out and beautiful for what you put into our world. I welcome, you know, all hands on deck. We're working together. So I'm I am on Instagram. It's Dr. Lisa Miller. And The Awakened Brain has both science and stories of how in our most painful, empty moments, in our darkest moments, that is actually the ignition of a spiritual awakening through which we can realize our next station in life. We all have moments of developmental depression. Right now, we're doing it together as a society. And what is emerging, this is the ignition of our spiritual awakening. We are built to use our awakened brain. We all have one. What's one tiny thing someone can do right now when they finish this episode to charge their battery, to connect to all of this? Beautiful. We have focused in our society more recently on gratitude, to be grateful. But grateful to whom? And I invite you into the journey, the gentle, curious journey of what in the deepest sense your higher power, to whom are you grateful for your life, the life of your children? Because it's in that relationship, that deep loving, holding, guiding relationship that we are never alone. And it is in that dynamic, loving, lived relationship with our higher power that we go on this adventure. How beautiful. Thank you for being you. Thank you, Kathy, your jewel. Oh my goodness, that was a conversation I'll never forget. Dr. Lisa is truly one of a kind. Here are the takeaways. Number one, we are innately spiritual beings. We are built to be in relationship, in alignment, in deep connection with the great sacred force in us, through us, and around us. Number two, invite your higher self and ask you if you love you. Invite your higher power and ask if they love you. This is your counsel. They are always there for you. This is your inborn birthright. This is your awakened brain. It is the seat of transcendence and eminence. It is the seat of relational spirituality in all forms. 
Number three, the child already sees. We don't need to be great theologians. We need to honor the spirit in our children. If we're transparent and walk the walk of our spiritual truth, that is the intergenerational transmission of spiritual life. We're the ambassadors. Number four, you don't need to be perfect. In fact, it's in the bumps in the road that we may have a particular opportunity to be the teacher. Number five, every disruption, every rupture between us humans needs a repair, but it also has a second layer, which is the realignment and renewal with higher power. Number six, step back from the stuck red door, pivot, and then make that hairpin turn. Let the trail angel lead you to the wide open yellow door, where in your road of life radiates your higher power and your openness to be in dialogue with the great sacred force in us, through us and among us. You've been on a spiritual path, a sacred walk all along. Number seven, in our most painful empty moments, in our darkest moments, that is actually the ignition of the spiritual awakening through which we can realize our next station in life. Number eight, your life is amazing. You were built to go on a spiritual adventure. There's love that is so much bigger than anything that might have been fathomed. There's beauty and sacred moments of how we show up for one another. Life is the incredible series of unpredictable sacred moments of revelation. Thank you so much for listening. I know that it's summer. I know that your schedule is so all over the place, most likely, but that's why it means extra to me that you're here. We have so many good episodes that are coming up, so please make sure that you follow along on Apple Podcasts or follow along on Spotify, wherever you're listening. And if you believe in this mission, if you appreciate these episodes, then do us a favor and leave us a review. Go ahead, leave a review and share the show. Share the show with anyone who you think this episode could touch. And remember, you can get $500 off if you want to join me for my eight-week interactive podcast course. This course is going to help you start and monetize your own podcast. What do you think could happen? I started my own podcast when I was 37 with three little kids, and the rest is history. It's pretty phenomenal how much I've grown as a person, how many opportunities have come. It's really nothing I could put into words. If you want to join me, you want to get the discount code. The discount code is voice. You can go to kathyheller.com slash join and put in the code voice for $500 off, which is just good this week. I'll leave you with a song. I'll talk to you soon.
We're swimming through a sea of twinkly lights. These are the best. 